It's great to be together again and great to focus this morning on God's great faithfulness to us. And because of that, we do have a redeemer, someone who has rescued us from our sin. And because of that, we can sing that to God be the glory. So just great thoughts to get us connected with what we're doing this morning as we look to hear from the Lord. This is a third in an eight-week series in the book of Genesis centered around the life of Joseph. The overall title of the series is that God meant it for good. I encourage you to read Genesis 37 to 50 if you've not done so in its entirety to get a sense of the overall story. Today we're going to look at Genesis 40 and 41 in a lesson I've entitled, God Knows What He's About. I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40. And as you do that, let's review a little bit where we've been so far. It's about 1900 BC, and in chapter 37, we saw that Joseph's brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery in Egypt in order to get rid of him and his dreams. In chapter 39, we saw how Joseph is sold again to a man called Potiphar, and then ends up in prison because of being falsely accused of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife. The author records that the Lord was with Joseph in Egypt, enabling him to become a capable and trustworthy administrator, first in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, and then in charge of everything in the prison. So with that as a background, uh, I'd like us to read Genesis 40. I'm going to read it in its entirety so that we can get a sense of the story. And we've been sitting for a little while here. I'm just going to ask us all to stand uh, now as I read that as you're able. Genesis chapter 40. As we hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, well, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. 
Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment and pray as we get into this. Lord, guide us through this study today as we continue to look at what you recorded for us of Joseph's life. We take to heart Paul's words in Romans 15 that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Lord, may we truly find hope today in what you have recorded for us from ages past. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, let's look together at how God knows what he's about when accomplishing his good purposes for his children. Chapter 40, I entitled, Two Troubling Dreams, Two Different Interpretations. Remember, Joseph is in prison after the false accusation by Potiphar's wife. It is now 11 years after Joseph was sold by his brothers, which makes him now 28 years old. In verses 1 to 4, we, say that, we see that Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, imprisons angrily both his chief cupbearer and his chief baker in the place where the king's prisoners are confined. We see that back in chapter 39, which happens to be the same place where Joseph is. And on one particular night, each of them had a dream that troubled them very much. Joseph notices their distress and asks them about it in the morning. They explain they are troubled because there's no one to tell them the meaning of their dreams. And I love verse 8, where Joseph says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Joseph knows he has the ability to interpret dreams, but he also knows and acknowledges that that ability is only because God is working through him. So what were the interpretations? We read the dreams. We're not going to go into the details again. But the cupbearer goes first, and his dream indicates that in three days, Pharaoh is going to release him from prison and restore him to his former office as chief cupbearer. The baker's dream indicates that in three days, Pharaoh is going to also release him from prison, but in his case, he's going to be released to be executed. And in three days, everything happened just as Joseph had said. And if we look at verse 14 and 15, in the process, Joseph realizes an amazing God-given opportunity that is handed to him. Let's look there in verse 14. 
Only remember me, Joseph says to the cupbearer, when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph asks the cupbearer to speak to Pharaoh about him. He's going to be speaking face to face with the king of the land. And Joseph says, please speak to him on my behalf to get me out of this prison. And do you hear the pain in his voice as he relates how he got to Egypt in the first place and then how he ended up in prison by false accusation? And you can feel the hope rise in his heart as he finally sees his way out. He finally sees his way out. So after they get out of prison, as predicted by his interpretation of their dreams, I am sure he is waiting for the day of his release. Four days go by. No release. A week? Two weeks? A month? No release. Six months? Nine months? A year? No release. How long did he wait until he even gave up waiting for release? Because verse 23 tells us that the cupbearer forgot him. The cupbearer forgot him. Well, that's chapter 40. Let's now go into chapter 41. And I'm going to read the first 17 verses of chapter 41 to get us started with the drift of what happens next. And so please just read along there as I read. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. 
I've entitled chapter 41, Two Troubling Dreams, One Interpretation. Pharaoh has two dreams in one night that he finds very troubling. He calls for all of his advisors, but none of them are able to interpret the dream for him. It is at this time that the cupbearer, two years later, remembers Joseph in prison and the accurate interpretation of the two dreams. And then Pharaoh immediately calls for Joseph. Look at the language there in verse 14. They quickly brought him out of the pit. The one who had long ago given up any hope of rescue now finds himself quickly released with no notice and finds himself standing in front of Pharaoh himself to hear about these dreams after a shave and a change of clothes, of course. Tells you a little bit of something about life in prison. And then once again, we see in verse 15, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can, can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph acknowledges that it is God alone who provides interpretation to dreams. So Pharaoh relates the dreams to Joseph, and we're not going to go through that again. He relates those dreams. And Joseph says that this time the two dreams mean the same thing. The reason that God gave it twice is because it is confirmed. It's going to happen. There's no way this is not going to happen, as Joseph says later. And basically the dreams mean this. There are going to be seven years of great abundance in Egypt, followed by seven years of a very severe famine. After interpreting the dreams, Joseph's gift as an administrator comes forth and leads him to take his answer one step further by proposing a plan for Pharaoh to deal with the coming crisis that God has chosen to reveal to them. And basically he says, if you read the rest of the account, he says to Pharaoh that he should appoint a person to store up one-fifth of the grain during the seven years of plenty to be used during the seven years of famine. And in verses 38 and 39, well, it was started at 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Pharaoh recognizes that there's something going on here behind, or beyond mere human ability. He acknowledges God as the source of this plan as well as the giver of Joseph's ability as an administrator. Pharaoh both believes the truth about the interpretations and sees the wisdom of Joseph's proposal. And as a result, he selects Joseph to be the person to administrate the collection and distribution of food. Joseph is now 30 years old, as we see in verse 46. He is given great honor and he is made second in command in the country, answerable only to Pharaoh himself. It's a dizzying turnaround. Then in verse 53, we read this, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine comes, 
Joseph is able to supply grain for the people of Egypt so that they will not starve during this famine. But the author here also sets us up for the next step in this story. If you look in verse 57, he says, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because this famine was severe over all the earth. That sets us up for next week. So you'll have to come back next week to hear the next installment of this one. If God is willing, of course. Maybe he'll come back before then and we won't have to do this. Wouldn't that be nice? Despite becoming a successful leader, let's look back, though, at verses 50 to 52, where we read about Joseph's two sons. And Joseph now is about 37 years old. Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Their names reflect both the suffering he has endured as well as God's presence in his life to this point. Manasseh sounds like the Hebrew word for making to forget. And in that, we hear the comfort that Joseph is receiving. It's not that he has forgotten his homeland. He's not forgotten what's happened. But now there is something to balance that out. There's a comfort. There's, a, there's peace. There's prosperity here that has come out of that. And Ephraim sounds like the Hebrew word for making fruitful. He has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Before this time, all Joseph had was loss after loss after loss. And now God has made him fruitful. All is not lost. And as he names these boys, do you hear the combination of deep pain and grateful comfort that is expressed in the names of these two sons? Joseph did not forget the pain he had endured in the last 20 years, but he was able to find gratitude and comfort in God's continued presence with him. Well, that's the essence of the story from chapters 40 and 41. But I'd like to spend the rest of our time now let's, looking at some application for us to how we can bring this home. It has been said that God doesn't call the equipped but he equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. See, God knew the famine was coming and what was needed to accomplish his purposes. And he didn't look around to see who was most qualified to do the job. No, he picked Joseph to be the one and then prepared him by giving him the gifts he needed and by ordering his life circumstances. I saw something interesting when Cyrus and I were discussing Cyrus's preparation of chapter 39. Look over with me to chapter 37, verse 2. Just briefly read it and see what it says there about Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Now turn over to chapter 39, verse 2, and look at how it describes him. 
The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. From a 17-year-old boy to a successful man. And he did not know the journey that was going to take to get him from that 17-year-old boy to the successful man. Joseph's life is much like ours, isn't it? He did not know where his life was headed. He did not know how long it would take. He did not know how hard the journey would be. But God knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew the specific path that Joseph would have to take to go from a 17-year-old boy to a successful man. I also love what Cyrus shared with us last week about success. The success is to advance or to make progress, to prosper. In this case, success was Joseph advancing, making progress in the life that God had planned for him. That's not our usual definition of success, is it? But if success is making progress in the life that God has planned for us, that would truly be a successful life. In the same way, none of us knows the specifics of where our lives are headed or how long maturity will take or how hard the journey will be, but God knows, and God knows exactly what he's doing to get us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Keep your fingers here in Genesis, but please turn over with me to Romans chapter 8 to some very familiar verses that I think apply here. Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, God is working in all the details of our life, all the details, all the details of my life, your life, to transform you to be conformed to the image of his son. He's taking us from where we are to where we need to be, and where we need to be is being conformed to the image of his son. Wherever your life-specific journey takes you, God's overall goal for you is at the end, you're going to look like Jesus. And just as he was working behind the scenes in Joseph's life, he is always working behind the scene in your life in ways you cannot see in order to accomplish that goal. So let's look at some of the intricate details that God arranged behind the scenes in Joseph's life to get him where he needed to be when he needed to be there. Well, right away, we see that as a 17-year-old boy, Joseph is having and interpreting dreams. Little did he know what God was going to be doing with that many years down the road. The point of the story is not to teach us the value of dreams or how to interpret them, as some would say. The point of the story is that God equips his children with the gifts and experiences they need to accomplish his purposes. Secondly, how did Joseph get to Egypt in the first place? Well, the immediate answer is what? His brothers sold him into slavery. But I'd like you again, hold your fingers in here and turn over with me to Psalm 105 because God's perspectives are always different than ours. Psalm 105, and I'm gonna start reading at verse 16. When he, that is God, 
summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of him, ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. It may have been his brothers who sold him into Egypt, but it was God who sent him to Egypt. Joseph's brothers thought they were finally getting rid of a hated dreamer. God was intentionally preparing a future leader. It was a painful journey, but God was using those experiences to train, to refine, to equip Joseph for the massive job that lay ahead to save and feed a nation. And it took 13 years to get there. Thirdly, Joseph was sold as a slave to Potiphar. Now this was not just any Egyptian household. Potiphar was a high government official, the captain of the guard, that is, Pharaoh's bodyguard. Here, Joseph learned the Egyptian language, the culture, the ways of an Egyptian household, all things that he would need later that he had no clue that he would need. And God used the time there as a slave to develop and refine his God-given skills as a capable and trusted administrator. Then he was thrown into prison under false accusation. And there again, we saw that his skills as an administrator were further refined and put to use. And this was no ordinary prison. This was, as we saw before, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Think about that. Joseph had no clue where he was going to be ending up, but God knew. And in this prison, he was exposed to government officials who worked the closest to Pharaoh. He learned about pal palace politics, government protocol, Pharaoh's ruling style. He heard the gossip and the inside scoops about what was going on at the highest levels of government. God was preparing him for what God knew was coming ahead. Fifth, God orchestrated a series of coincidences with the cupbearer and the baker. I don't know why, but this just stuck out with me. But someone has defined coincidence as when God chooses to remain anonymous. A coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. Look at what God did in precisely organizing the details at the right time and in the right order. So both men, the cupbearer and the baker, are placed in the same prison with Joseph at the same time. Both have dreams on the same night, which Joseph is able to interpret. And the cupbearer happened to tell his dream first. The scripture tells us that because he had a favorable answer, the baker felt comfortable sharing his dream. Imagine if the baker had gone first and the cupbearer sitting there saying, I just don't know if I want to say what my dream is and that's what's happening to him. God is always at work behind the scenes in places we usually cannot see to fully arrange all necessary circumstances to accomplish his good purpose. 
And then Joseph is totally forgotten by the cupbearer. Totally forgotten. This man is, was thrown into prison, gets out of prison, and totally forgets Joseph three days later. Totally forgets him. For two years. Joseph very likely experienced something that we all have probably faced, what I'm calling the disappointment gap. The disappointment gap. The distance between your circumstances and your hopes. If your circumstances are bad, but your hope of rescue is low, then life may be disappointing, but you really don't expect much. But if your circumstances are that same bad, but your hope of rescue becomes high, then the failure of that rescue makes your disappointment that much worse. Anybody ever been there? Life was hard, life was tough, but you really knew there was no hope of change, so you just slogged along. Suddenly a window opens and you say, I can see a way out of this. Joseph was probably better off emotionally having no hope of getting out of prison than having hope of getting out that was then denied. Have you ever had your hopes dashed? You would have been better off not having had those hopes in the first place. But notice, Joseph was not wrong in thinking that the cupbearer was his ticket out of prison. He just didn't know God's timing. Have you ever been there? Been overlooked? Passed over? Abandoned, set aside, marginalized, forgotten, had your hopes raised to a high level only to see them dashed. God's ways are not our ways. God's timing is not our timing. But God's ways and God's timing are always perfect. What looks to you like a failure and a disappointment is often God at work behind the scenes to accomplish his good purposes for you. And I struggle with this as much as the rest of us do. God, what is going on? Why are you doing this? All of these downward steps, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, unjustly thrown into prison, forgotten by the cupbearer, all of these were necessary tools in God's hands to make Joseph into the person he needed to be. The same is true with you and the disappointments of your life. Necessary tools in God's hands to make you into the person he wants you to be. Most of you won't become second in command to the greatest ruler of the time, but that doesn't mean that your life is any less significant in God's eyes. As, as was already said, God's desire for you is that you be conformed to the image of Christ, to look like Jesus. And that is no little thing. God will work into your life all you need to become the person he wants you to be, using the truth of the Bible, using relationships with other people, particularly other believers, using natural gifting, talents, and personality, using life circumstances that include trials, difficulties, sufferings that refine us, train us, prepare us for what he alone knows we will need. God will use whatever it takes to transform you into who you were meant to be. You often will not understand the what, the why, the how long, but God promises that at the right time, your journey will always end up at the right place, 
with you being lifted up and made to look like Jesus. You will get a taste of that in this life, but you most assuredly will see it made complete when you get home with him in heaven. And there's no shortcut to this growth to maturity. In our instant society, we want the highest paying job now. We want to be at the top now. We want recognition now. We want maturity now. As I was reflecting on this, I re reflected back on my life as an 18-year-old who was a brand new believer in Jesus. I was excited about my newfound faith in Jesus. I went out, first time I ever set foot in a Christian bookstore, and I bought a brand new Bible. The clean, crisp pages of a new Bible, the smell of a new book, the unbroken binding. I was excited. Then I compared my new Bible to the Bibles of people who had been believers for many more years than me. Their Bibles had old, dirty, tattered pages, bindings that were well-worn, the look and smell of age. At one point, I picked up my new Bible and picked up some dirt and started rubbing it on the pages because I wanted my Bible, and this is literally true, I literally did this, because I wanted my Bible to look like their Bible. Fortunately, I soon realized the folly of my efforts because there are no quick fixes. There are no quick roads to maturity. There are no substitutes for time and the sufferings of life. It takes God's work over time to mold a life, even over a whole lifetime. And here I am 50 years later, three or four Bibles later, because I've worn a few out. God wastes nothing, ever. God wastes nothing, ever. You are being prepared and equipped now to be the person God needs you to be. You're being used now for God's purposes for your life. One more thing to look at. There is something bigger going on here than just Joseph's life. Joseph faced with endurance many years of the shame, suffering, and humiliation of slavery and injustice, with the end result of being seated at the right hand of the king of Egypt in order to bring salvation to all who would come to him for food. And if you read later through this, the people of Egypt say, you have saved us, you have saved our lives. But in Joseph's story, we see here some shadows of Jesus' future coming. Look with me over at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Starting at verse 1 down to verse 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus, Jesus faced with endurance the shame, humiliation, suffering, and death of the cross, 
with the end result of being seated at the right hand of the throne of God in order to bring salvation to all who would come to him for forgiveness. Joseph, the long-suffering savior of the Egyptian people during a severe famine, points us to the greater and more perfect savior, Jesus Christ. As we said two weeks ago, this is not merely a story about Joseph and his family. As Mike Cosper said in the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, this is a story about the mystery of God working in broken places. This is a story about the mystery of God working in broken places. This is a story about a great savior who works in mysterious ways to rescue his people and accomplish his great purposes, working in the deep, dark, and quiet places of a sinful, broken human heart and sinful, broken families. This is a story about a great savior who will never, ever leave you until you are conformed to the image of Jesus, till you become the person God created you to be, till you have fulfilled your purpose. Joseph's story is not over even yet, and neither is yours. God uses all the experiences of your life, the pleasant and the painful, to accomplish his good purposes for you. You do not know the path that God has marked out for you, but you can know that there is a great joy to come at just the right time. As Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Guaranteed. As we reflect on what it means that God is always at work behind the scenes to accomplish his purpose, I would like to close with this poem. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands, while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he is about. God knows what he is about. Let's close. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder that you know what you're about. You know what you're doing as you work behind the scenes in the intricate details of our lives to make us into the people you created us to be to fulfill your purposes in us, to conform us to the image of Jesus. May we be able to say that no matter what happens in our lives, you truly know what you're about. And because of that, we can say it is well.
with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.